0: Hello and welcome to the Social Market Foundation podcast, bringing you news, views and expertise from the UK's leading centrist think tank. I'm Scott Corfe, the SMF's Research Director. This podcast is part of our Ask the Expert series in conjunction with the Economic and Social Research Council, where we bring publicly funded academics and experts and use their learning to enrich the policy making process. Today we're speaking to Professor Sue Yendel from the University of Sheffield. Sue is our director of CIRCLE at the university and that stands for Centre for International Research on Care, Labour and Equalities. I'm going to be talking to Sue about older carers and their need for more support.
1: You know, a lot of people are talking about our care system as in crisis or as at tipping point and I think you know we have to recognise that this is the moment to start really taking this seriously and taking some very serious action.
0: We know that older carers, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s often have to cope with the care of older relatives, spouses and also younger relatives, children with learning difficulties for example and this creates a range of challenges for these individuals, financial challenges and also challenges around mental health and relationships so I'm really looking forward to hearing Sue's insights on this and getting some understanding around what policymakers can do to make things a bit easier for carers. So I've just returned from a very fascinating panel discussion uh, with Professor Sue Yendall. Sue, first of all, what is CIRCLE and what is the work that you're doing in this space?
1: Okay, well CIRCLE is a research centre of the Faculty of Social Sciences at the University of Sheffield and at the moment it houses a major project which is funded by the Economic and Social Research Council which is called Sustainable Care, Supporting People and Systems and that in that In that overall programme, we have eight projects running, all to do with aspects of our care system. Um, how we organise care at the level of legislation and practice and policies and also at the work and relationships of care. So we're also looking at people who provide care unpaid, who we call carers, and at the um, professionals who provide care for in return for wages, who are care workers or the providers of those services. So we're looking at all aspects in a three and a half year long programme, which we're about halfway through at the moment.
0: Great. And Sue, so you, you went for a range of interesting facts in the panel discussion we just had. Could you just, just go through that again for us?
1: So we know that um, you know, most carers are people of working age, but actually it's the age group 50 to about 75 in which the, the vast majority of carers are concentrated. And it's also a period in which the three kinds of responsibilities that older carers tend to have most likely to be prevalent. And so the three that I drew attention to was that some older carers are people who are caring for a son or daughter who is now an adult, but who has a profound or significant long-term disability or illness. And so we talked a bit about those people and the particular challenges that they face, including worries about the future as they themselves get older and less able to manage the care that they've probably given for decades to a son or daughter that needs help um, I also talked about the extent to which this group are often caring for a partner so this is often men came for their wives women came for their husbands or same-sex partners looking after each other towards the later stage of their relationship and this too brings particular challenges and one of the challenges that it brings is that in certain kinds of caring, the relationship is profoundly affected by the circumstances of the person's disability or illness and dementia is an obvious example of that, but it can happen in other conditions too, like multiple sclerosis, for example, in advanced stages. So that's another aspect that we talked about. And then we also talked about the challenges of caring for very elderly parents which is a common experience now for people in their 60s and 70s and indeed into their 80s have their own aging parents still alive often becoming very frail uh, and often with significant um, activity limitations and disabilities that they need help with and so we spoke about those challenges and the fact that particular problem we have is as the numbers of those people both carers and people needing care increase as part of big trends which are happening around the world what we're seeing in Britain is that some of the support that we're offering is actually declining and the numbers of people receiving home care through their local authorities for example has been declining and we've seen a reduction in You know, shockingly, in the numbers of carers receiving support, even though numbers have always been quite small, that's not improved despite changes in the law, which suggested that that would be
0: something we would put more emphasis on. And why has that support been declining?
1: Well, I think we have to you know, recognise that the 10 years of uh, financial constraint that followed the global financial crisis, particular choices were made about where the axe should fall there. And it fell very hard on local authorities, and particularly in some of the local authorities which had the toughest socioeconomic settings to deal with and where care need was greatest. And so for some local authorities, it's simply been impossible to deliver on their obligations or their, what they would hope to be able to do, because they simply haven't had the resources to do that, and you know, carers almost have become the shock absorbers in the system. And we know what happens when the shock absorbers themselves get damaged, the whole system crashes. So, you know, this is where we are actually. A lot of people are talking about our care system as in crisis or as at tipping point. And I think, you know, we have to recognise that this is the moment to start really taking this seriously and taking some very serious action to address some of these problems.
0: Do you ever sense that the government's attitude is starting to move in the right direction on this issue? We've had care really rise to prominence in the news recently and then the government under under Boris Johnson has made some signs around austerity being over a move to a fiscal policy where the government's perhaps a bit more willing to spend some money. Um, Is their attitude to care moving in the right direction? I
1: think what we're seeing is across all parties, a a genuine understanding that this is an issue that has to be sorted out. Whether any party will have the courage to actually sort it out, I think remains to be seen. What would be great would be to see cross-party agreement reached. You know, in other countries that faced up to these problems earlier than us and the German government would be a good example of a country which, you know, several decades ago now, decided that it had to raise additional resources and it had to change its system so that it could face this challenge. The Japanese government did the same thing. These were not uncontroversial and there were differences of view about what should happen, but they have reached a settlement which has produced more services for care and more resources in the system and I think we have to go in that direction so I just hope that in the next general election we can get to the point where people can be seeking agreement and a way forward rather than to simply criticise each other for past failures which to be honest can be seen in all parties.
0: So if government Government wants to do some positive policy measures in this space and you you mentioned Japan and Germany there what specifically do you think the UK government should adopt from the Japanese and German models and, and apply them to this country?
1: It's not so much that we directly adopt it but You know, we recognize that, for example, in both those countries and Korea as another example, they decided that they wanted to raise resources through an insurance model, which would give people something they were paying into from which they could benefit later. And the really interesting contrast between the Japanese and the German approaches was that the Japanese model theirs to some degree on the German system, but they chose not to have one feature, which was they chose not to have the feature where family members could draw cash out as a compensation for providing care. And so what's happened in the German system is that they've created more informal carers, whereas the Japanese system has created more care services that people can access, where the person they care for gets professional support. And the key driver for the Japanese in that was that they could not risk having people drop out of their labor market because they saw that as too big an economic risk in their society which has you know, a very aging population and very low population growth.
0: One thing I think Japan is doing in the care space is using technology and increasingly exploring the role of robotics in providing care to individuals. Is that is that something you could see the UK adopting going forward, or do you think we're a bit more nervous about removing human care and replacing it with robot care?
1: Well, I, th- I wouldn't equate the introduction of robotics necessarily with removing human care. I think there are a number of things which robotics can help with, and we see that in some of the best examples around the world, and. You know, if you go to the international fairs that occur at places like the International Federation of Ageing, for example, has has regular meetings where you see all these products on show and you can see that some of them have potential. Others are going to be vastly expensive and will never be things which could possibly be offered to the whole population. So I think we need to take a practical approach to technology. What will technology help with and what will it help with at scale? Because that's where the challenge is at the moment, is doing things at a a sufficient volume that we really are making a difference and doing things which help people give them additional dignity without taking away the precious human contact that both older disabled people and carers really value.
0: Mm. I think Perhaps technology can make things a bit easier for individuals that are caring for relatives. So one thing that was mentioned in in the event was people managing relatives across two households. Perhaps you're managing or helping your parents that are living further away. Technology could perhaps help in that sense if you've got a sensor fitted to a kettle, so you know whether your mother's put the kettle on in the morning or not. If they haven't, it might be a sign that you should go and check and see that she's okay.
1: We've got a team that's looking particularly at that topic and we've done research on that in previous uh, programs of work that I've been involved in Um, and I see that as a really important set of developments. There are a lot of things that technology can help with, it can help with communication so that can be about communicating between family members about what is needed in a situation, perhaps mum's got dementia and is struggling now with aspects of everyday life different family members need to know what's going on and how they can help that can be done through an app or through you know that kind of remote communication where everybody can be put in the picture at the same time that's really possible using everyday technologies that you and I probably already have there are things which can indicate if there's a problem so we've got monitoring and alert devices which can be really helpful or they can be protective to people make them feel safer like you know monitors on their front door so that if they're worried about opening the door they know somebody is monitoring that situation and can intervene if they're frightened or nervous about who they answer the door to so there's a lot of things that we can do what we can't see those as is a substitute for many of the very practical and emotionally charged things that happen to people in everyday life and you know key issues that people have to deal with are their personal care they're getting dressed and getting out of bed and getting back into bed at the end of the day getting washed or showered as regularly as they would like their hair being attended to you know, all of these things matter to people they're about their dignity so if we don't have time for any of this and if we you know I, I don't see robots addressing some of those things. So we have to also find a way to support people, whether they're professionals who are their care workers, many of whom are very dedicated, caring, and you know offer excellent support to older people, which is really valued, but often in a framework, which is really difficult because their visits are too short, or they can't actually do the additional things that they notice that day when they go. So it's those things I think we need to pay more attention to.
0: Right. And See, so one other thing that came up at the event and we discussed it in some detail was gender. We know gender is sort of a, very much a hot topic these days in a, in a whole range of policy spaces. One of the stats you gave to us was the, divide, the gender divide in caring, which I think showed about 60% of carers are women, about 40% are men. Could you just tell me a bit more about why we do have this gender divide? And then also I'd be really interested in your thoughts around whether... This is an issue. It's whether it's something we need to address through policy. Do we need to get towards a situation where care is 50/50 between men and women?
1: Well, for many centuries, the care of sick or frail people was the role of women in most societies. Most societies are like ours. That was that was the the expectation. In our society, it tended to be expected that the unmarried daughter would provide care. You know, in large families the daughter that didn't marry would end up caring for the parents. In Japanese society, it was the eldest son's wife who was expected to support her parents-in-law. You know, these cultures have developed these, these arrangements and they're part of our deeply gendered societies that we've emerged from. But as you mentioned, gender is a hot topic and gender equality is a hot topic. And of course, one of the things that has happened in the last, particularly in the last 50 years, is far more women have received an education, have you know, are qualified to do significant jobs and all want to be active in the labour market. And indeed, our whole societies are now based upon the presumption that every adult will be earning a a living and that's how we pay our bills so the challenge we now have is that you know we don't have lots of people adults fit and well at home with not much to do who could pick all this up people people are already living complex busy lives into which caring is a growing factor that they have to uh, contend with and of course the caring that needs doing is a much larger volume of caring than has ever been the case before. People are living longer, but they're living longer with frailties and disabilities, as we mentioned in the in the earlier event.
0: And one thing you just mentioned as Sue, was, women are increasingly expected to be in the labour market and to be working. and A lot of carers are also workers. They're also engaged in paid employment. And this presents its own set of challenges. How do you balance caring for a child or a parent with the need to go to work and earn a salary? What do you think we need to do to help carers that need to be in employment?
1: Well, I think we need to recognise that we need a kind of a wider infrastructure of support that supports the individual worker that's facing that particular challenge at that particular life stage and it supports their employer. Because what employers don't want is to suddenly find overnight an experienced, valued worker, whether they're at the top of the tree or in a more lowly job, but perhaps, you know, have exceptional knowledge and a contribution of the way the company works, which is really valuable. They don't want those people to just disappear overnight. It's really difficult for companies to manage that. And so what they want is to be able to support people to remain at work, perhaps with additional flexibility. And so You know, we have done some of that. We've passed legislation which gives people the right to request flexible working and we've passed it with a degree of success. It's a weak right, but actually many employers have been quite reasonable about it and many workers have found that most of what they've asked for has been delivered. Not all by any means, but some people are still too afraid to ask and some people it's not relevant to because they don't have that kind of job. It works for people in a regular job with a permanent contract you know, better than it does for people in precarious work. So we need to recognise that changing dimension of our labour market. But it's not enough. And we know also that there are times in life when people really want to spend all their time with a loved one. So if your spouse has a terminal illness, the Canadians the Swedes, the Finns and many other nationalities recognise that you're probably going to want some time off to spend full time with that person, but you're going to want to go back to your job. So terminal illness leave is one of the forms of care leave, which some countries have introduced. It doesn't have enormous take up. It doesn't cost huge amounts of money, but it does need the worker to be compensated in some way. And a problem we have is that we don't have quite the same employment insurance model that many of those countries have. So they tend to tweak their employment insurance models so that it becomes another thing that you can claim from as a worker that has employment insurance. We ha- we pay NASH insurance, but we don't pay it into a fund. And so our problem is we haven't got that resource available. As a country, we have to work out how we're going to give people that humane right. It's like an extension of compassionate leave. The Japanese recognize that if they want to honor the responsibilities they feel they have to their parents, there will be times when they need to make arrangements for those parents to be cared for well. And so their care leave is really about helping people to transfer from living alone to maybe a supported setting or to move into a residential setting if they're struggling with dementia. So they've really develop their care leave to support people to make the arrangements without it being a problem at work. And again, they have recently increased the compensation rate for that to 67% of normal salary. So these are things that we're looking at. We're studying the international development of these policies in, in my team at the moment. But it's a really important thing that I think we need to consider in Britain as well.
0: I think one of the presumptions with respect to caring for family is that you you have to go and do it. You have to quit your job and look after a relative or or, or a child with with difficulties. Um, you know what what if you what if you don't want to do that? The assumption, the assumption seems to be that you, you you are the you are the relative that's in a position that you can provide care. You need to go and do this um, and. It's something that has a hugely disruptive impact on your own life. It can increase your chance of getting uh, mental illness, as you mentioned. Uh, It can lead to loss of income. Uh, It can cause all sorts of havoc in your life it, it can it can even undermine some of your relationships
1: that's absolutely true uh, I think when I mean caring tends to arise in two main ways it either creeps up on you as when perhaps you know you have an elderly relative who's you know whose who's abilities to manage their own affairs and to look after themselves gradually declines or it can just happen overnight and when it happens overnight it's a stroke or it's a car accident or it's a heart attack or it's something like that and we know that people people's first reaction is Everything now matters. The only thing that matters now is looking after Bill. Right? Bill's had a heart attack. All the focus is on Bill. And that's the point when we need to give that carer some that person some support because they've overnight they've become a carer. When as soon as Bill goes home from hospital, Mary is going to be his carer. But Mary's best course of action may not be to immediately chuck in her job because that may mean that the family has no significant income, that she's been faced with poverty as well as caring responsibility, and she may have been able to negotiate arrangements which would have helped. And so this is the point at which I think people need support. So you know we know from, from experiments that we've seen in the past that if you put that support in, at hospital discharge or just before hospital discharge people make better decisions and we also know that the people who give up work to care in those kinds of circumstances very often regret it but then find it really hard to get back into work so we want to help people make the right decisions and this is again where a bit of care leave would help if you could have some time off that was where you would have some compensation of lost earnings while you worked out the best way forward and the support you would need and how you're going to manage your life you know so that mary and bill could both be happy or as happy as they can be in their changed circumstances and i think that's that's where we need to get to that's the support we need to put into the system
0: great so parting question for you sue if you if you were to write boris johnson a a wish list of things that the government should do next what, what would be on that list
1: well I think it's got to find a way of putting significantly more money into the resources available to local authorities to provide home care, residential care and support for carers. That's absolutely fundamental. We need to have people work in a modern economy, modern families have complex responsibilities. We have to find a way of making everything more flexible about how they manage work and care and we have to recognise that caring is such an important part of life it's such a valuable thing that we can give to others we don't want that to be. we don't want to make it a problem we want it to make it something we celebrate and if we just provided it more support for it we could all feel proud of the caring society that we created instead of ashamed of the lack of support that we give older and disabled people
0: professor see thank you very much and that's all from us This has been the Social Market Foundation podcast in association with the Economic and Social Research Council as part of our Ask the Expert series. Thank you to our expert, Professor Sue Yandel. Thank you to Barbara Lambert for producing this podcast. And thank you for listening. Until the next time.